today we've got Joe Bonington of Joe's Basecamp joining us for a Real Movement Coaches podcast where we're going to dig into some stuff around mentality, courage, and the preparation that it takes to do some absolutely phenomenal things. I've spent most of my time in the sports world uh, where we we value people um, that really push themselves to to fatigue and take their performances to another level. But today we're going to hear from a guy that has had a very, very fascinating journey and, and helped so many people achieve lifetime goals and life-changing experiences um, that go far, far beyond the, uh, the sports world. So welcome, Joe, and great to connect. Cheers, mate. Yeah, really, really good to be here. Really good. And thank you so much for, for inviting me on. The uh, real pleasure. So Joe jumped in very early in his real movement uh, experience. He jumped into a presentation on the initial or the inaugural uh, real movement online intensive. We couldn't do any face-to-face activities that were planned for that month. And Joe jumped in to, to do a presentation. And he spoke about his journey a little bit and also how he goes about preparing people to do phenomenal things like climbing up big fucking mountains as one where I prepare guys to go to battle for 80 minutes and they know they're walking off the field. These guys hopefully are coming home. So we're going to dig into Joe here, but let's start with your story. And man, you've got a bit of a familiar accent there. Tell us, tell us where it all started. So uh, originally I'm from, uh, from Cumbria in the, the Northwest of England. Um, and I, I was born and raised in a, a place called the Lake District that's uh, uh, about as rural as you can get in the UK. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I love being over here, love uh, Australia and uh, love the, the true wilderness, the wilderness that uh, Australia has. But um, I also still still call Cumbria God's own. It's a, it's a, it's a wild and very unique place, very, very old place. Um, some people think it's where some of the King, King Arthur, uh, the Arthurian legends come from. And it's where some of the last uh, Britons uh, were uh, before, you know, they had the Picts coming down from the north and the Romans coming up from the south and, and all that. So it's the, the last bastions of those, those tribes. So it's pretty wild, uh, wild and rugged country. Um, and uh, has always been very isolated as well. So we've got uh, a fairly unique accent. And until uh, after the Second World War, it was actually a very strong, very strong dialect that, you know, we have our own way of counting. You know, they, 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 the shepherds still count Yan, Tan, Tether, Mether, Pimps, Tether, Leather, Hover, Dover, Dick. And all these other, as you know, they don't still count like that, but they used to count like that. And, um, and have very different words, like we say, Vanya for nearly and, and Deekst for, for, for look and, um, uh, and things like that. So um, pretty unique part of, uh, of Britain. Um, and then I was, I've always been raised around adventure. Um, my dad uh, is seen as Britain's foremost mountaineer and, and probably one of the world's leading adventure mountaineers who's uh, in his time was seen as the father of, of modern mountaineering. Um, uh, ended up with a knighthood for his troubles. So uh, he's uh, his sedad. And uh, <laughs> when mum was alive, it was lady, lady mum. No. Um, and um, so I was raised around that environment of, of, you know, wild men with big beards and wild hair and um, uh, high risk. You know, I, um, I have a period through my early childhood that I can't remember a year that I wasn't going to a funeral um, from uh, one of my dad's peers and, and colleagues. Uh, and my dad was seen, deemed as, a, as seen as a, an expedition leader. So very often he was leading the expedition. So very often these funerals were of people who were killed on, on his expeditions. Um, so was raised around all of that. Um, and uh, dad in the uh, 70s and 80s was a very big name in the UK. He was a household name, you know, on all the kids' TV shows and on the news and um, and all of that, and that led to its own challenges for me. I had a pretty checkered 
uh, upbringing went uh, went quite far off the rails uh, myself in my teens um, and right into it in, even into my very early 20s um, before I saw uh, the error of my ways I was actually uh, truth be told I was sitting in a, a police cell in uh, in Hammersmith um, and uh, was uh, looking at the, the walls and thinking what the bloody hell is going on here? You know, why, why am I doing this to myself, my family and, and all of this. And, um, then I turned around and, um, became a student of change. So I'd been into adventure prior to that. And it was just, I, I'd got, oh, how should I describe it? I'd got fed up with, um, people patting me on the head and, and, Oh, you're going to grow up to be like your dad. Um, and all this and, and wanted to forge my own identity and, uh, and struggled to find a way to do that. So I got mixed up in all kinds of, you know, drugs and petty crime and uh, the other stuff that goes on in uh, back in the UK in, in certain places. And um, but it was at that point there that I realized that there was more. So dad had would spend a lot of time climbing and, and expeditioning and, and raised roaming around the, the countryside with, uh, and around the lakes and the hills with, uh, with dad, but we'd never been on expeditions with him. So after, um, uh, this court case that, uh, the thing that I'd ended up in a prison cell for, um, I went on my first proper expedition with dad. Um, and, uh, that literally changed everything. I was a natural at altitude and there was a point that me and my dad were up, we were on Kilimanjaro, but we'd gone around Kilimanjaro seen as a trekking peak. What we'd done, um, you know, being uh, with dad, we couldn't do it the normal routes. So we'd circumnavigated the mountain uh, and also being with dad, we had a film crew with us um, and we were doing a documentary on this journey, on, on our journey, and we circumnavigated the mountain and come up round the back over a place called the Credna Glacier, which unfortunately due to global warming is, is hardly there anymore. Climbed up over the glacier, uh, did some ice climbing, dropped down into the crater and came up the other side. Now, um, my brother was also on that trip and, and he and my uncle had kind of uh, fallen behind and, and they were at the the back and dad said look i think we'd better wait for the other guys and we were near the summit and uh i said dad i'd uh uh i really need to to go up there and spend a bit of time by myself so he let me wander off it was about another 200 meters to the to the summit and uh so i went off and i i didn't know he was looking at me and he was bawling his eyes out i was going off up the the, the mountain by myself and I, I got to the top and just felt this energy come through the, the mountain. I'm looking, you could see, you could see the curve of the earth. It was an <clears throat> amazing view. And I felt this power come up through the, the ground, through the mountain and, and overwhelm me. And I was crying, I, was, I just burst into sobs and I was crying from a, from a childhood for all the fuck ups I'd made, for crying for all the people who, were now dead who used to bounce me up and down on their knee. I was, you know, and used to carry on me, me on their shoulders and um, just crying for, for, for all of that. And, uh, and then dad and uh, dad came up and, and we gave each other a, a big hug. And then uh, the rest of the family came up and that was a, a second transitional moment. And I knew then that, adventure was going to take a part in my life as well i've never been the technical mountaineer that my dad was and you know he is a uh, a high alt or was a high altitude athlete my experience is i love the mountains and i love adventure and from my own experience the change that adventure experiences can bring and i wanted to find a way to share that with as many people as I could. Um, I went back to the UK. I was working in another industry for, for a little while. And then uh, I met my wife, who's Australian. And we decided to, to come over here. And I'd got myself 
really fit again and, and got really interested in endurance sports. And I came over here, but I also I wanted to to put something back. I'd, I'd actually been involved in the music industry uh, for a few years over there, and I wanted you know very shallow industry and not a very healthy industry. And I wanted to to put something back and do some good. So uh, I, I, just, I just wanted to do anything. I wanted to go and build a school with my bare hands in Somalia or something. And um, so. Jude wanted to come back and be with her family. I was fascinated by Australia. And so we came over and um, I decided to, if I could, the only way I was raised in the country um, and, you know, even before I fell off the rails, I'd always had this affinity with nature. So I thought, okay, how can I assimilate myself with the, this new country where everything is so different? You know, the, the trees look so different. The birds are so different. There's, the animals are very different. So I took myself off to TAFE and studied uh, bush regen. And um, whilst I was working out what the next stage of my life looked like. And so I, sat, I was working for a, a bush regeneration company, a conservation company, and I was out in the bush, um, you know, pulling out weeds and uh, helping um, uh, do some good um, whilst I worked out what came next. And uh, it was during that time. So this is back in uh, 1998, 99. And um, I was very fit. Uh, I'd got myself very fit, competed in, um, in my first ultras. And um, then uh, I went, I had a, an offer to go on another expedition, uh, which would be a first ascent and, um, of a Himalayan peak. And uh, so I, I'd had some ideas starting to form whilst I was in the bush. And when I went over to Nepal, it really made me realize because I saw some people who should have been having the, the time of a life. They should have been having an, an amazing trip, um, but they just weren't prepared enough for, for their undertakings. And that's when it clicked. So that was in 2000. Um, I came back, we had a successful expedition, we summited, so it was my, my first um, first ascent, uh, my only uh, first ascent so far, um, and um, that was 20 years ago. I qualified um, back then in Cert 3, uh, there wasn't even a Cert 4 back then, and um, qualified as a, a coach, and very quickly realized that if I wanted to train people for trekking and mountaineering at that time, that the adventure industry isn't what it was just pre COVID. Um, and I've quickly realized I was going to starve to death. So, um, so I ended up, I joined fitness first and, um, you know, was training overweight mums and stressed out executives and I, and I cut my teeth, um, in places like that. Um, and but all the time I had in my I've never been uh, university educated you know like I said I left school at 16 um, and uh, I uh, but I've always had a love of the geeky side of, of training so I was studying S&C on the side and and all things and reading papers that I didn't understand <laughs> and um, and just looking at how I could transfer. I couldn't find anything to do with the sports that I loved. So all the wilderness sports, there was, there was no research. There was, there was, there was nothing. So I was trying to find, um, uh, track and field sports and Olympic uh, sports and research that had been done on them. And then how I could then transfer that knowledge over to the things that I loved and get me, you know, it was quite selfish at the time as well. It was, it was like, how could I get myself better at, uh, these things and then also pass it on to what were then the very few clients that I had um, in that uh, in that field so and um, yeah so kept on building started to meet some people in um, 2008 I was approached by a real estate agent um, who was uh, 15 kilos overweight and had always have a, had a dream of climbing Everest and I started working with him uh, quite heavily. I'd been training people for treks and getting people fit to, to go to Everest Base Camp and Annapurna and, and stuff like this. But this was my 
my first more extreme 8,000 meter peak. And off him, off the back of training Steve, Steve had a successful expedition. I trained uh, a total of five uh, Australian uh, Everest summiters and uh, trained them. And then the, the name got out and then started getting approached by more and more uh, mountaineers, more and more trekkers, uh, etc. And then it started people from other sports. So a guy called Gareth Andrews approached me, who's uh, really into the, the um, polar exploration and started a completely different set of challenges. You know, with your uphill athletes, your mountaineers, everything's very weight conscious. So, you know, you, you don't want to be carrying, you need a really, really good um, uh, power to body weight ratio and strength endurance capacity to carry that weight uh, up, uh, up slopes for, for hours on end. But then when you're doing what we, the overland journeys, the skiers and the, the, the polar explorers, you're then traveling for days and days and days and days with no access to other food. You've got to carry everything you've got with you. Um, and you know, in one polar trip, you can lose up to 30 kilos. And, uh, so how, how do we power people up, leave them enough reserves and stores, um, uh, that, uh, they don't go catabolic, um, or there's always going to be some uh, form of catabolism. But they, 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 that we need to try and keep enough that they've got enough fat at the start, um, uh, excess, and that they're very, very fat adapted. Um, but they've got plenty of stores with them because we can't have them cannibalizing the muscle structure so much that they're going to get too weak to to continue the journey. So. Yeah, so, so trying to manage things like manage things like that. So yeah, that's the that's the journey in a in a nutshell to today. Oh, and then in um, two thousand and eleven, I um I ended up I was actually for a little while I was fitness first longest serving PT, and they, I ended up getting this award. They had this thing, Fitness Inspirer, um, and uh, I ended up win, winning it because of the work I'd done with Steve Bock, and uh, I ended up with this you know the the big oversized check, and they did this big ceremony of an awards weekend and gala dinner down in um, the Radisson and, and got presented a check by Sporty Spice and um, uh, not uh, Sporty Spice, uh, Scary Spice, Melby and, uh, and all this. And two weeks later, I uh, handed him a notice and I opened up my first gym. <laughs> With, uh, the check was very handy. Yeah. <laughs> good, good on him. Thanks for helping oh. you on your way. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's... Um... That's epic, and like even just touching on you, your first first mission up the hill there, doing it with your your father. Like I've grown up around, you know, I'm a sports coach, rugby league coach, and I've grown yeah. up around that my whole life. And you know, for a long time of my growing up, you know, I was watching from the grandstand and maybe hanging around the dressing room and whatever. But uh, in 2010, you know, I was working with my dad, and we made a grand final. We didn't quite reach the summit, but it was. Yeah. Um, it was one of those experiences, you know, where you you would have treasured it no matter who you went there with, but yeah. but certainly doing it with your with your dad and, and your brother and your uncle as yeah. well, like that's um yeah pretty special. And what 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 I've done since uh, I've actually done because I I run so I I lead commercial treks as well and uh, and take people on journeys, facilitated journeys to to wild places, and um on a few of those I've done it with my dad. And they are really are special. So I've invited dad along, uh, which has been great because he, he's a draw card as well. So we then get a different class of people, people coming for different reasons. They're wanting to spend time with this legend, etc. But it's given me a chance to spend, uh, you know, here's me. I live on the other side of the world from the rest of my family. And I get to spend a month not just a month, it's not like going on holiday with your, with your parents or, or with your family or whatever, but, you know, this is the environment that both me and my dad are at our most comfortable, the, the environment that we love the most, the challenges, the scary bits, the, the, the logistics, all of that. And so I've had these awesome experiences where I t I'm totally, totally immersed with my dad. Um, and I think that's a very, very rare thing. I don't think many people get 
to do that with um, with their relatives. And, uh, and those have been really, really special moments. Yeah, it's, that's, that's so cool. I, I guess like, how do you, how do you know, like when someone's coming to, to you and says, Hey, I want to do a trek, you know, and this is what I've got in mind. How, like, how do you, how do you go? Well, there's three months I need to put in two years, five years. Like, how do you know, can anyone do it? Like, how good, yeah. like, what do you need? What do you need to, to be able to do it? You know, like, I think, look, I, I think uh, with the right resources and the right mentality, anybody, anybody can undertake it. And I'm choosing my words carefully here. Um, whether you're going to get the outcome you want or not is a completely different matter. And this is the thing that I love about adventure sports. And this is also why I'm actually really, really fascinated on how we can use the learnings that we get from these adventure experiences and how we can utilize them in life. Because um, I think more so in adventure sports and activities than a lot of other sports, you know, if you're in a field sport and you have got a great team, all your plays are sorted out, uh, your tactics are absolutely on point, um, your athletes are, are truly prepared, and the other team are shit, or the other team aren't playing as well. The other team have got have had stuff going on. The other team have had uh, pressures because of um, shit going on in the media. They've got some problems with one of the players has got shit going on at home or whatever. Um, you know, there's a lot of things there that mean well. Nine chances are the odds are in your favour. You're going to win. Uh, you're going to win that game. With adventure sports, you've got um, all these things. You can prepare as much as you like. You can train the person. They can have the absolute best mindset in the world. You can, they can have all of this going on. Um, and then there can be an avalanche. You know, there could be a four-day storm that's going to catch you on the mountain and deplete your food stores. And uh, you are going to be, you've then got to make a decision. I could go for the summit, but if I do, am I going to be strong enough to get back down again? Um, is it getting to the top is more important than that chance of being able to get down? Which for some people, unbelievably enough, it is. They, they will, honestly, they will weigh it up and they'll make that decision and say, okay, fuck it, I'll go for it. Um, and, um, or, you know, the, there's all these other things that, that go into it. I think there's more, um, there's more unknowns. I'm not saying there's total lack of unknowns in uh, other sports because there, there isn't. We, we know that there, there isn't and, and anything can happen on game night. Um, but I think there's, there's so many more moving parts. Um, and uh, that I find absolutely fascinating. Yeah, for sure. I I agree. You know, like there's there's way more at stake here. So maybe if we start delving into yeah. that, yeah. Like, I think in in life, you know, we've fed this we've fed this information about you know whatever we're doing, it should be fun. We should wake up feeling happy every day, and everything's going to be enjoyable because we're doing what we like doing. But I can't imagine that all of it when you're on the mountain. <clears throat> Is enjoyable so like what it's, part of it is the the journey the you know what's at stake <laughs> how do you work out whether this is fun or like, it's not look, look, and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there and there's a lot of great quotes from some some top climbers about uh, getting being used to the uh to the pain to that i think conrad anchors said a few times uh conrad anchors but he's probably the world's current leading mountaineers he's also the uh, the leader of the North Face, uh, you know, the North Face athletes are probably the most famous adventure athletes in the world, um, and he's the the leader of the um, of their athlete team. And yeah, he says about uh, he talks a lot about just being able to put up and to endure um, with it. And it is it's, it's funny you saying about people seeking happiness, and this is one of the problems and. This is the other thing that I think adventure sports 
uh, teach us is we don't we don't want to search for, for happiness is fleeting. So we get we get happiness when we get to the top. That moment, that fleeting moment when we're standing on the top, we've achieved it, and you know the sun's shining. You can see the curve of the earth. The clouds are below us. It's a perfect day. And then you realize you've got another 12 hours of down climbing. Down climbing is, is often where there's more deaths than anywhere else. You know, you've got, and it's, if we can seek fulfillment from everything we do, I think we're in a lot better place. And that's what I try and encourage people to do is, is forget about happiness. Happiness comes, happiness goes. Um, but if we seek fulfillment, well, then the hard parts, the sad parts, the happy parts, they all fit in there. Fulfillment is the most important thing. I think going back to your original question, you were asking about, you know, who, how, how is it you prepare these people or, or the what people you're looking for? Um, it's a really tough one because the different types of adventures have different kinds of things and, and uh, different stimuluses and different needs like i was saying the differences between a polar explorer and a, a mountaineer and the difference between say a multi-stage endurance um uh mountain bike cyclist um very very different but 80 percent of it is in the mindset you know that that's been said time and time again um and that, that's actually across most sports you get to a certain stage in athletic development where if you look at all the athletes, they, they are, they're, they're within tenths of a second of each other. They're, they're within millimeters of each other. Um, and the thing that separates them after that is how they play the game, how they carry themselves, how they go into it mentally. You know, and this is where people like, you know, Michael Phelps and people are, are kings because they just have such control of that mental game um and um alex honnold you know so some people say oh he's he's you know is, is he on the spectrum and and all of this it, he's just a pretty special bloke he's got his control and his self-control and the way you know whether he is or or he isn't on the spectrum is neither here nor there he's just the most amazing phenomenal athlete with the most phenomenal amount of mental control um, and that is what separates people so when I see people and I see people coming towards me depending on what it is that they're hoping to do if they're looking at doing a trek then it's I'm a big believer in building things into experience one of the things that we see over and over again is people have this focus on say Everest on uh, on Everest? It's the biggest of the of the mountains, you know, the biggest of the fourteen uh, eight thousand meter peaks, largest mountain in the world, and so it is seen as this this major 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 goal. And people focus on just getting to that, and they they miss the journey, they miss the journey and the joy of the journey to get there. So. You know, and the joy of that journey is uh, what are you going to learn from, from learning to climb, from learning the basics, from learning your craft, um, from doing your time in the trenches, from doing a small peak, then doing a 6,000 meter peak, then, you know, going away, assessing how you did on that, and, and then maybe looking, okay, I'll go and do a, a seven uh, or one of the low 8,000 meter peaks, and then building into it um, and I think this is one of the problems and why the the death rate on um, on Everest since commercial expeditions have been on Everest um, hasn't really changed it's just you know we, we haven't improved the, the the safety ratio we haven't it's just kind of been uh, as it is and um, it's because you've got people who haven't cut their teeth they haven't um, you know, I'm not saying anybody's there for the wrong reason because a goal is a goal and it's an amazing goal. I don't know if it's true mountaineering, but um, it, when you're on a fixed rope, but um, uh, it is an amazing goal. Yeah, 
I think that happens in a lot of sports. You know, people want to try a marathon before they've done a half marathon or before yeah. they've done the city to surf or, you yeah. know, like people want to, you know, young players I deal with, they, they want to be playing NRL before they've actually really established themselves in, in some lower levels and, and mastered their craft. Yeah. What, I, what I'm really curious about, how do you, like, how do you practice that mindset and that mentality in a, you know, in an event where it's going to last for, for days at a time? Um, how do you practice and rehearse that mental state that you want to be in? Cause you, you know, I'd imagine it's hard to replicate in the, in the gym or on the beach yeah, or wherever you. It, it is. So, so that, I mean, so doing things like that is that is then just getting back to, um, you know, what, what I call, uh, uh, disciplines and that I've learned through uh, for you guys with real movement is uh, is freedoms. Um, they play such an important part, and you'll find a lot of climbers and a lot of mountaineers uh, do uh, meditate. Um, and the ones who don't like my, my dad, my mum was always trying to get my dad to to meditate, and he he never did. But then when it's funny, I watched him over the years, and when he's rock climbing, which that is his meditative experience. That is him. You know, people think med- meditation is, is focusing on nothing and it, it's not, it's actually, it's focused relaxation. And when you watch uh, footage of the old man climbing, I remember being, you know, belaying him and here and you'd hear him. He'd always have the same tuneless whistle under his breath. Um, and he'd literally just float up the rock as, as, as one foot goes there, this uh, hand goes there and, and, you know, this pause and, and just completely in that natural flow state, completely immersed, involved, wrapped him and the, the rock. Um, me following up afterwards was a slightly different matter and a bit more of a scr- scramble and a bit more, more effort uh, put into it. But it, it's that thing that comes with practice, you know, and it's the same as us juggling. It's the same as us doing handstands. It's practice. And that, that flow state is a state of mind. So we can't emulate being at 8,000 meters um, here in, uh, in Sydney or whatever, but we can help people achieve flow. And, you know, the, the more we practice certain things, and so that's like uh, going out, practicing rope work, etc. until you've got it, until you absolutely know it like the back of your hand, until you can do it with your eyes closed. Um, just movement, moving over rock, moving under fatigue. Um, and so we do, uh, some of the things that we do do is, is, um, uh, is do, uh, hidden summit workouts so basically we have a workout planned and but the client doesn't actually know where the workout finishes they think it finishes at one point and it doesn't that's actually just the start and then there's another whole bit to do see so, so it's not like a kind of um uh, a crossfit style just a kind of chipper just keep going keep going keep going we have a, a very very recognized peak yeah. And then uh, that stops. They think they've done it. They think we're here. And then they've got the same amount of volume to go again, maybe in a different discipline, uh, et cetera, that they've then got to do and is sprung upon them. And then we actually see is, is how they react to that. And you'll get some people absolutely spit the dummy and you just think you're not ready. You can't. You can't, you're not going to be able to do that, you know, in, in four weeks time when you're at six and a half thousand meters and, and things have changed. Your, uh, an avalanche has wiped out your top camp, your tent's gone, and you've actually got to spend another 12 hours hauling your ass down a mountain. You know, you can't, you can't get the shits with me then. So, the, uh, yeah, so doing things like that. So when you, like when you're going on these expeditions and you're, you know, you're leading and there's, there's always some level of risk there that, yep. you know, you're going to get hurt or you maybe not coming back. Um, how well, how well do you get to know people before you go so that you can, you know, help them in the best ways possible when you're, when you're under that kind of adversity, like how do you, how do you deal with different characters? And Yeah. So that's, 
dealing with different characters is is really really interesting and, and you still get uh surprises you know when sometimes you don't see you have good indicators having interviewed people and talked to people uh prior to going and then built up that relationship um beforehand but when you're actually out in a high stress situation it's not until then that sometimes you see all the, the true colors um i've got a friend of mine kate bacher um she's a psychologist and a mountaineer um and she specializes in in high performance and high risk situations and she actually has a um uh a, a psychological risk management plan that they use it basically a list now I haven't had the child be honest I haven't had the chance to adopt this yet um because uh me and Kate have only come mates in the the last couple of years but um that is actually one thing that I'm really looking at doing with our stuff so she has a whole series of questions that you get the client to answer that actually shows what pushes their buttons you know what what are the things how is it that they react when they're tired how is it that th this happens when, when are the times that they need to be left alone because it's that stuff if you haven't got that stuff sorted out and if you aren't a good judge of that what could have been a great experience because a great experience can become a disaster from beginning to end because if you're on an expedition and a trip it's not just the environment, the mountain, the weather that can cause the danger, the things that can kill you. If, you're, if you've had a breakdown in communication and if you aren't talking well at night, if people are resentful of each other, and this has happened time and time again, people are resentful of each other, they're not communicating within the team, uh, I'm feeling shit today, but I'm not going to tell them. I'm not going to let them know that I'm feeling weak. Okay. That, that person doing that because they're feeling ostracized, they've maybe been feeling not listened to, they've maybe whatever over a decision. It could have been something petty, but everybody was tired. They were at 8,000 meters and, or 7,000 meters and there was a, a decision made about what, what they were eating for dinner that night. Um, these things can get blown out of proportion, but because of that, somebody making to say, oh, look, sod them i've got the shits with them i'm, I'm not going to i'm i don't want to tell them that i'm i'm feeling a bit tired I'm, I'm feeling vulnerable you don't talk to people if you're annoyed with somebody you don't let people know your vulnerabilities and then if you go onto that next leg and you are feeling under par you've got a bit of a headache you, you are feeling a bit nauseous but you don't want to tell anybody and that could turn into full-blown altitude sickness full-blown altitude sickness for you could also mean something much more sinister could mean you end up dying but not just that by you dying or or that happening or you or you getting really sick you could then put the other members of that party in danger as well so all of these things have a massive knock-on effect so having psychological plans is really important it's actually a new big thing uh, i know that uh, people all the big wilderness medicine companies at the moment are now writing uh, psychological um, components to their uh, to the wilderness medicine certi certificates and stuff like that so people are really really recognizing how important mindset and mental health is yeah yeah no more no more than when you're up there no no but it's the <laughs> same in a team environment I mean you know it's it's the same I mean you you must see it when teams aren't being cohesive when your players aren't being cohesive because of something shit that's just happened in the dressing room that's there's bullshit yeah yeah it's it's human nature isn't it and the, i guess as the the leader the coach whatever whatever you are it's your your duty and your role to get get people back on the track so i guess um yeah. maybe have you have you got a you know a good yarn or two there about where you've had to either influence someone that maybe didn't want to keep going, but you knew they could, or, you know, the reverse of it where they, you know, they'll, they'll pig, pig headed stubborn and wanted to keep going, but you needed to protect them from themselves. Yeah. I've got, um, I've got 
uh, a couple. Uh, one of them is actually me, and it just shows you know none of us are. Um, uh, none of us can can um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, can are immune to this. So so I'll give a uh, the last. Uh, mountaineering trip I did was uh, a couple of years ago. I climbed Mount Aspiring with uh, with a mate. Now Mount Aspiring is known as the the Matterhorn of the Southern Alps. So it's um, uh, probably New Zealand's most beautiful peak. Uh, it's not the biggest, but it's the most beautiful. And it is this this real true shaped mountain. If you if you look up a picture of mountain uh, of Mount Aspiring, you'll see it's a, a stunning mountain. But it's got a bit of reputation. There's um, uh, a few people have been killed on it um, and they've been uh, killed on uh, a route that's called the the slab and I had not been I hadn't been true mountaineering for, for quite some time so I've been leading lots of treks and doing other bits and pieces and I went into that trip with my ego my own ego getting in the way and um, uh, I'd had, uh, we got up there. I was unsure, you know, because here's me, Joe Bonington, the, the, um, uh, the trainer of, of mountaineers, the trainer of adventurers, etc. And I was feeling uncom- uncomfortable with my own ability at the, at the time. Um, and I went in uh, under... Uh, prepared by myself and uh, it was actually a really really good mate of mine Terry who was climbing with who at the end of, we, we were very close to the the summit and I was absolutely shattered we'd um the way we'd chosen to climb we'd we'd been chased by really really bad weather um and we only had very as is often the case in both the mountains and especially in New Zealand we only had a very brief opportunity and we uh, decided to take this route, take the slab, which is the more dangerous route, um, but also to do a daytime ascent, which makes it doubly dangerous. Um, and the slab is really, really prone to uh, to avalanches and stuff. And so because of that, when you're going across um, an, an avalanche route, you've got two ways of doing it. You can either belay every time, which is a very, very slow process. So you know, uh, you're on the rope, the lead climber goes out, uh, fixes his belay, the uh, second climber follows on, you then fix the belay and you go up like so. We didn't have the time to do that because of this bad weather chasing us, which would have been even more dangerous. So we decided that we had to solo it. So we were all uh, unroped. Uh, as we we're doing this area, the slabs that basically, if there was um, uh, an avalanche, then we're not going to get, uh, we're not going to pull everybody else off the mountain. Just the people who were in that avalanche would get caught and go down. So we're having to to deal with that, which is men- mentally tiring and, and draining as well. And um, anyway, so we we got up and. Um, by the time we were getting to the top, it was getting dark, and I was up. I knew we were close to the top, but um, I was just absolutely shattered. And I was saying, "Oh, Terry, look, just you go. I'm holding you guys back. You guys, you guys go back up." But that's not the the case, and it's not it's not what you do in a mountain environment. You know, it's uh, you're either all up or you're all all down, um, and all that. So, uh, so Terry goaded me um, up the uh, the last part. You know, and it was, it was only actually, it was that whole thing of having the unknown. Um, I didn't know how much longer it was going to, to go on for. And so, um, and it wasn't actually, it was only about another half hour, half hour climbing. And uh, and uh, it was all uh, fun and games and we all got to the to the top. But that was an epic, what, what takes some people 14 hours because of the way that we did it and the way that we had to do it, um, and that we'd opted not to use the huts that were close. We were on our feet for 36 hours. So, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty shattered at the, uh, at the end of it. And I'd also, to double up as well, I'd, um, those, the mountaineering boots I was wearing, the uh, old school plastics, I hadn't worn them in, uh, in oh, 
15, 16 years, and, and my, my feet were absolutely shredded. I'd uh, blisters down to the bone. Nothing worse than a blister. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the people don't realise. People don't realise what, what, how, how crippling and, and how much things like that can affect you. Oh, but, uh, for sure. Even in our sport, I've seen blokes with blisters go down like they've been yeah. shot. And then they're, I'm like, what's, what happened? I thought you did your Achilles. No, no, I just got a bad blister. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. They'd so rather sprint into each other. What so about, that, how are yeah. you, like when you're on your feet and you, like it's, you used the word endure before, and there's some obviously some good books around that. Um, yeah. That title itself, how we, um, you know, physicality yeah. meets meets mentality. Yeah. Um, how do you go about managing your thoughts and your, you know, just your process mentally so that you don't get mentally fatigued? Like, how do you drift in and out from, like, just not thinking about much, being in that flow, and then. You know, I've got to make a decision here. So not every step is a decision. Yeah. You know, like how do you how do you go about managing the mental, you know, fatigue? It's it's, it's it's the same thing. It's it's, it's the same as meditation. It's like there's that whole thing in meditation. Always come back to the breath. You know, so thoughts will happen, and thoughts stuff stuff happens, and proceeds happen. But then you always go back to the breath. You know, so you're counting your rest: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, I have to think of something deal with something, do it, go back to the breath, you know, and that, that side of things is, uh, is pretty simple. And that's, you know, in that, that one case there that, uh, that I lost, um, uh, lost my lolly was, uh, was just not getting back to the breath, you know, um, at other times, you know, in that same situation and in worse situations, uh, have totally managed a similar, uh, challenge um and got through it uh totally um okay it's just that on that time that that i didn't because yeah it was it just wasn't being mindful and uh and paying attention so i let the fatigue uh let the fatigue overtake me but um yeah so in answer to your question managing managing fatigue is Fatigue really is people, and this is where we get to David Goggins. I uh, I absolutely love what he's about, and uh, and at the same time, you know, it's it's people. We were talking before. You, we were saying I was saying about people missing out the journey. Some people see the David Goggins mentality as to be the excuse as to missing out the journey. They think, oh, okay, well, David Goggins can run for X, so I'm going to go from zero kilometers to a hundred kilometer trail race. Um, you know, I'm just going to goggins it. The, um, and that's, that's not the right way. Cause what they don't realize is how much training and how much he put into becoming a Navy SEAL. And he had all of that years and years and years of conditioning before he actually then went on to do the other things and the ultra things that he'd actually done. So he was pretty phenomenal and pretty conditioned bloke um all the way uh, all the way through yes he'd got himself from the overweight before joining the army but he worked his ass off over a number of years it wasn't right i'm gonna go and do the uta 100 next week yeah uh, you know nothing but, big nothing big happens overnight as they say like it everything's a process isn't like you oh, can't totally. do phenomenal things quickly totally totally and, th- and this is it is if if we give ourselves the small wins you know so it's going off and we, we must build and build and build. Um, a great example in my work is uh, Killian Journey. So Killian Journey, probably the, the world's greatest mountain runner um, and absolutely phenomenal athlete um, and can do amazing, amazing things. And his, his mental strength is absolutely phenomenal. But the reason is, so he, was, he grew up in the, uh, in the hills of the Pyrenees and he was running huge volumes from a very young age, from school age. And so he built that, uh, that capacity from a young age and he built it and built it and built it over time. And we're the same with, with the people who come and see me. It's, it's give yourself time. And if they very often, when we first see people, they've actually come to see me too late. So the amount of people who come and see me two months out from a trip Oh, I really should have come and seen you, but I've been procrastinating about it, whatever. Um, 
and and that's fine so what we do is just lay down some okay so so what are the realistics this is where you are now this is ideally where we'd like you to be by the time you get to there and this is where you could be for your next trip okay but and if we can prepare them and say look this this is reality you have come and seen me a bit too late this is where you're going to be you're going to find this bit hard okay but we can get you to this and you just slow down you just enjoy the journey and you enjoy to the distance that you've got to and to the physical ability and capabilities that you're at now because that is going to lay you a foundation for the next one because what what I'm always trying to do, a lot of people are doing bucket list trips. So they're going and doing Kilimanjaro, Everest, and whatever. And they're thinking that, that that's it. They just want to tick, tick that off the bucket list, and, and that's it. Then they're going to go back to, I don't know, corporate, la-la land, or, or whatever. And they've just ticked that off. What I'm hoping is that they're going to learn something about themselves, and this is just the start of their journey. And it's not to say I don't want to turn people into, into mountaineers. You know, it's, it's like, you know, I wouldn't want to say, okay, no, no, come and do this. Come up, come away from team sports. No, 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 come over to the dark side. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not a case of that. It's this is something that can be done alongside that can teach you so much about yourself, can teach you so much about your relationships, how to deal with stress, how to deal with stressful situations, and also how to face your own mortality, you know, and, and to look at yourself, you know, we're all going to die. Uh, you know, that's the one given in this world. Um, and it's how we look at that. Do we then, uh, are we afraid of that? And so we then shy away from anything that could cause death and miss out on some amazing experiences? Or do we take calculated risks and then work out, well, look, if I do this, this, and this, there is a certain amount of risk. The risk is probably major injury there's maybe a one in a million chance of, of, of dying. Am I prepared to take that risk? And if I am, let's go for it or let's not, you know, and then we can approach the, the approach life in the, in very much the same way. And that, that's why I'm into this whole concept of recently. We've always been known as the bucket list gym, but I have recently, I've changed my, my tag on, uh, on Instagram to the, to the bucket list coach. And, and it's because of that. I, I'll be honest. I, some of the athletes, the top end athletes I work with, like like Gareth Andrews and people like that, very determined, very focused people. That they're always going to do what it is they're going to do. They just need a really, really good science based training plan to optimize their efficiency at what they're at. The people who and I, and I look, don't get me wrong. I love training people like that, and I, I love being part of their journey. But when you get, when you're standing at somewhere simple like Everest Base Camp or, or the top of Kilimanjaro and you've got a middle-aged housewife from the northern beaches of Sydney who never, ever, ever in a million years thought she could fucking make it. Sorry, excuse my language. Um, and, and she's there looking up at this most amazing mountains around her she's immersed fallen in love with the culture of these simple people who have so little but have done everything to help get her there and that that's changed her life forever you know and that that is what juices me you know it's seeing people like that or, or getting people to that next stage you know it's um pretty special yeah, I mean, I get goosebumps hearing people tell stories about doing doing things that you know you're having a massive impact, not just on that small period that you're together, but yeah, the rest of life. Even if you never see, if that person trains with you, climbs a mountain, and you never see them again. Yeah. You know, you've had a you know phenomenal impact on their life, and 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 probably the knock-on effect of how that person changes how they can then influence their, their kids and their friends and, and the whole thing snowballs maybe because they went to bucket list gym, you know, that's, yeah. that's the, the amount of people that we've got who, who've now taken their children on an adventure um, or are looking at doing things with their kids. Um, and that, that is really special, yeah. you know, and it's, you know, alongside the, the other stuff and the pressures they've got and HSCs and, and, 
you know, uh, making the first 15 and, and all of that or, uh, or, or playing state rep, they've then gone and spent three weeks in Nepal and been exposed to children who have nothing, uh, literally nothing, exposed to children who walk three days uh, to, to get to school, um, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and that, that is again, you know, it's not that, um, it's not just about teaching a man to fish, but if you can teach, if you can teach somebody to how to teach how to fish, then you can end world hunger. Do yep. you know what I mean? Yeah, man. That's cool. And maybe if we just finish up here as well, because yeah. there's a lot of like youthful coaches um, in our community that are going to be listening to this. Yeah. Um, you know, you left school at 16, you're off the rails. Yeah. Um, you haven't been in university. No. You're, you know, largely self-taught experiences helped you. Um, you know, what advice would you give to, to young coaches about, you know, chasing, chasing their passion and, and making it their, not just their profession, but their, their purpose? I, uh, there's a couple of things here. So I, I am absolutely absolutely passionate about the coaching process so and the whole uh, the one thing i learned very very early on is about mentoring uh, and that's why i'm part of real movement so i've always sought out mentors um i've got um people who are a lot cleverer than me who i will uh have a, a coffee and a chat with on a regular basis and bounce stuff off i have professional support groups like the real movement project that I, I utilize and uh, and try and get as much as I can out of. And I have rituals. So I, uh, every single day, I do part of a course. So I try and spread them across different areas. So I have um, uh, around uh, physical and the technical aspects of training. Um, and then I have around business. And then I have around personal development. And if, if I can, if it's not a morning where I'm coaching that I have to get up uh, first thing and, and just get straight into coaching, I'll try and hit one of all three. Um, I'm massive on rituals. So I've, I've got a, a fairly complex, I think sometimes I overcomplicate my own rituals routine, but I've got this kind of seven stages of rituals that I go through virtually every morning um, uh, that I do that I've now added some of the stuff uh, that now includes juggling uh, as well. So let's make that eight-part rituals. Um, and, uh, you know, I get up, I, I super hydrate, um, I do my meditation and I do my, uh, my breath work. Um, I do some movement, um, which I don't count as exercise. It's just something to, to get me going. So I'll do some kind of Paul Check style cheese squats or I'll do um, a sun salute or... Uh, something like that, just something that takes three to five minutes. Um, and, uh, and then I do my, my education and, uh, and I do that constantly. So I've constantly, uh, you know, real movement courses and Udemy uh, are my best friend. Uh, and I've got those, those kind of uh, constantly uh, on the go. I'm an avid notebook uh, note taker. So I'll, I'll just show you. So I, these are just some I'm big on, uh, you know, the brand Moleskin, Moleskin yep. notebooks. Yep. These are just some of the ones I've got on the go at the moment. <laughs> I just constantly, and I earmark and tag everything and any texts that I'm reading are, are just, you know, I learn and learn and learn and, and reference and, uh, and, uh, and go through like that. So, so be a student of learning, you know, never stop. I, I, I rail against the, uh, I call them the personality trainers who, who do their cert three, cert four, and that's it. They're, the only reason they'd ever do another course is to get CEC points. I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of courses. I can't remember the last time I logged any CEC points. I don't give a shit about them. You know, it's about, it's, it's what I want to learn and what I can take, what I can distill. Um, I... I do think, though, I know uh, I know Keegan's got very strong, and I don't know about yourself, um, strong views on university. I 
I actually, I'll be, I'll be honest, I do regret not having gone to university. You know, I, I didn't, like I said, left school at 16. I was, a, I was a bad, bad boy. Even though I'd come from this, you know, this famous dad and this middle-class upbringing and, and this loving family. My mum and dad were married for 50 years and they had this most amazing relationship. You know, they, they were very, very much in love. Uh, and I still, I was a bad little shit. Uh, I was just bad, bad boy, you know, went out and got my teeth all golded up and, and uh, yeah, I just thought I was a ragamuffin. Um, but I, it was just a blip. It was something that I had to go through. Um, I think one thing that university can teach people or can help kids with uh, is it teaches self-discipline. I think when you're in that university environment and having to, uh, study for yourself you're no longer in that school environment where you're being told you've got to do this you've got to do that I think that's a very positive thing um, look whether the courses themselves are actually worth the the hex debt and all that that's another matter but I think it's that having two to three years of the discipline of learning of of um, of self uh, not self-evaluated of um, you know, basically self-assess you, you. You're looking after yourself. I think that's very, very important. So um, I must admit, I do tend to to look uh, in the here's me without left school at sixteen. But when we're looking for for coaches, um, that is one thing that does uh, perk me up if they've got a degree in exercise science, etc. Because I know then that they have gone and um, and spent time but saying that my uh two of my best coaches uh uh in the gym here uh both left school early same as me etc and learned from from life and, and from experience uh etc um one of them has actually just gone back into that system though and is now studying medicine but uh but yeah so i sorry i've, I've gone completely digressed um the stuff that I'm, yes, it's just be a student of life, learning whatever forms that that takes, mentoring, find really, really good mentors and don't be afraid to, to ask and, and ask people. It's like, like if you see somebody who is doing better than you are, it's, it's go and find out why. This is one area where I think real movement is doing fantastically because historically I've been in this industry now for 20 years. Um, and I'd say, you know, I've been at the, the top end of my field, although my field's a very small field, so I haven't got many people snapping at my heels. Um, but I've had a solid reputation in what I do since, oh, since about 2000 and anywhere between 2005 and 2008, um, uh, when I first started really collecting uh, adventurers. Um, and lost my train of thought where was I going with that one um I yeah I can I, I've got a few thoughts there just while well, yeah you it'll come back to you but uh, around the education side of things I think you're bang on like you've got to be a, a lifelong learner for sure yeah um, as far as the uni goes my, my take on it is like in my first coaching job as a rugby league coach they actually made the job description hard so not many coaches could actually apply so you had to have a uni degree and in exercise or sports science or something which i had um and while i didn't enjoy the studying aspects of uni you know doing three years of uni showed people that i could commit to something and see yeah. it through till the end and i didn't i didn't dominate it i didn't want to be in that industry when i finished but i i committed i didn't drop out and that's what people do take um take that you know yeah. and, and and offer jobs on the back of back of that what i would challenge some people that are finishing school is like get some experience and do some real courses like some things that really yeah. light you up and then maybe do uni a bit later perhaps like one of, one of your colleagues is um you know the the process from school to uni doesn't have to be the case like yeah. go into the real that, world get a job that's, that's exactly it. I mean, look, I, I do have sometimes regret and think, oh, I wish I'd found the fitness industry early. I, I spent 10 years in the music industry um, and I didn't, uh, I'm 53 now, and I didn't, so I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this for, for over 20 years, but 
I, um, I hadn't, uh, I didn't uh, start doing it till I was 30, you know, so, which is, is quite late. You know, you've got uh, a lot of people, but it was, I think it was partly, I did really, really well early on, even before I'd managed to get um, my uh, methodology and around the adventure fitness really cranking when I was doing stuff with, with fitness first because of the life experience I had. I'd been involved, I'd run my own businesses, I'd run my own record labels, and I wasn't afraid to uh, to talk to people. And so I did stuff that was very, very different. Um, and again, I'm a massive one for routines and for tying things. Before I'd read things like uh, Atomic Habits and stuff like that, I'd unconsciously um, have it stacked. So I used to do this, this thing when I can remember, so I was working out fitness first at DY, and I had this thing that... Uh, every single time I went from the uh, change from the the staff room out onto the floor, you had to go past all the cardio machines. And if I walked past there, I had to look every single person in the front row of those cardio machines in the eye and say hello. And I, I wouldn't if I walked either way. If I had to go to the toilet, if I if I was in a massive rush, if I was seeing clients, if I had to walk past there, that's just what I had to do. Had I was just absolutely dog i get obsessive about certain things and but it paid dividends you know i was i was my business was heaps over and above everybody else's and also do you know be be the outlier you know we were in a suburban gym and i can remember when i first put my prices up to over a hundred dollars a session which was in the you know very early 2000s and it was unheard of nobody else on the northern beaches was charging over a hundred dollars a session and i can remember uh, another personal trainer coming up to me and saying, you can't do that. <laughs> I'm going, why not? Oh, because you can't, because you can't charge over a hundred dollars for a personal training uh, session. I was going, watch me, you know, and, and they did, you know, and my, my clients got value and the ones who, the ones who didn't, the ones who didn't see value in it, they're not going to train with me. You know, I'm not robbing anybody. I'm not, not, it's just value is in that, in the eye of the beholder. It's, it's, it's it's perceived value in, in what you get. Yeah. And the ones who, the ones who thought I was worth a hundred dollars an hour would, um, would stay in pay. The ones who didn't, they didn't No hard feelings. I don't care. So, yeah. Cool, man. It's, uh, it's been great to, to, to catch up being surrounded by death, adventure, music industry, you know, training, self-education, all those experiences, you know, in adventure sports um, is obviously making you a leader in in change, and that's what that's what uh, inspires me as well. So I appreciate appreciate your time. Pleasure, mate. Where do where do people where do people drop your line? Where do they come check out if they want to know more about adventure or? Okay, that, well, very easy to find. So just uh, on Instagram is uh, either through the gym at Joe's Base Camp um, or through myself, which is uh, at Joe the Bucketless Coach. Um, they're probably the best places on Facebook as well. Find my either my personal or my, my public profile on there, and and uh, yeah, fantastic. Awesome, it's been man. a real pleasure, mate. Pleasure chatting to you, man. Take it easy. Cheers, mate.